Route 57, Editor Interviews, 2021. Sure, so my name is Carmen Levick. I'm a lecturer in theatre uh, at the School of English, uh, University of Sheffield, and um, I'm the drama editor on um, Road 57, on this issue of Road 57. I mean, I've been editing the drama section for a few years now um, with the help of students. <laughs> to start with, um, what do masks mean to you? <laughs> well, as a theatre lecturer, uh, masks mean a lot to me, uh, both as props that we use, um, as, as training tools, so we run workshops where students use a variety of masks, um, but also they, they also kind of mean symbolic things like, uh, you know, hiding your face or transforming yourself for a particular role. Um, so the, there is a variety of, of kind of understandings that we use in, in theatre. And obviously these have been around for a very long time. So um, I'm teaching um, kind of Greek theatre as well, uh, ancient yeah. theatre, and, and it kind of, you know, started there. So we know quite a lot about masks and about their use. So I think it's it's quite a topical um, theme to, to choose for this issue. That's true, because whenever you go to museums, you see a lot of these ancient Greek masks and plays, and they're always incredibly quite decorative. And so slightly different to the context of today with our little paper and fabric masks. <laughs> it is, and also I think they, they were a, a technical um, miracle really, because as they were used, um, they were also used as a kind of a mouthpiece to to elevate the, the, the voice. So they were very well made and, and we still don't know how exactly they were made and, and how were they used to kind of Know, make sure that all those people who came to the theatre, like those all those thousands and thousands of people who went to the theatre back in the day, how they were able to hear the voices of, of these actors who were like hundreds of metres away from them. It's quite impressive to the design level that went into it. Mm. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and to use them and for the actors to learn to to walk in them and to speak in them and and to use them for their advantage to make sure that the text that they were saying is really kind of well heard by by people so they 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 were very they're a very important part of the theatrical development i think and we i, I don't think we use them enough nowadays we we tend to be afraid of masks in in theatre nowadays, other than kind of, you know, puppet theatre or, or, or theatre for children, very rare that we use masks. I think we should start using them considering how decorative they are, and especially as almost like the Greek actors did, we've all had to learn how to speak through masks and how to communicate at the moment, but the masks we're using don't really help our voices travel. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all, not at all. Uh, and it, it's quite actually quite difficult because I ran some of uh, some workshops uh, when we were in between lockdowns, some workshops where the students, theatre students came into the theatre workshop and they had to have masks on. And it was very, very difficult to run workshops, theatre workshops with those kind of masks. And because what's, what's interesting in kind of theatrical masks is that the theatrical masks have a, 
a hole where the mouth is. <laughs> so uh, they were very clearly kind of designed for us to actually hear the voices rather than to, to kind of muffle the voices as, as our masks now, our kind of um, COVID masks do. That's true. Um, because the theme, of course, is a response to COVID, but theatre has a lot, a lot longer history with masks. What do you think about generally of um, writing in pandemics and theatre and like trials of disease? And because it has been around so long that it's been through more than one pandemic. Definitely, and and um, you know one of the the most well known perhaps is is you know the plague during Shakespeare's time when theatres were often closed um, in order to kind of contain the disease. So so closing theatres definitely is not the first thing, the first time this happened, um, and it's it's a normal reaction I think because you don't want loads of people to come together um, in. A, in a close space to to yeah. get the germs um but i think theater and culture in general um were hit quite hard um during the pandemic obviously they were closed um and as as other things opened like pubs and other things theaters seem to be always kind of at the bottom of the list um so um it, it, it was hard, but I think what happened and what kind of impressed me quite a lot is, is the variety of responses that theatres had, and not just theatres, cultural institutions had to um, the pandemic by turning to digital, by creating different types of theatre pieces that were made available to everybody to see online. Um, they were quite immersive, that, that could be enjoyed by people in their living rooms. Um, it's not the same, obviously, because it doesn't have that presence that people enjoy when they go to the theatre. But um, I thought that, that theatres and, and creatives creative people in general um, made quite good use of, of the digital practices that were available for them, which didn't happen before because we were so used to going to the theatre, we were so yeah. used to theatre spaces that we really didn't didn't use the the, the the kind of the digital space was quite a niche space for theatre. So people yeah. who did digital theatre, they did digital theatre and nothing else. So while now it, it's a much more uh, kind of widely available form of making theatre. Do you think that will be a permanent shift? Because I know National Theatre released their own like streaming service now of plays that I've managed to see a few on and it's do you think that the shift to digital will be more per permanent or do you think we'll immediately all rush back into theatre and it will kind of just be abandoned very quickly? I think there will be perm it, I think it will be permanent, uh, not necessarily permanent in the sense that it will kind of cut down on on the other side of theatre, which is yeah. very much based on the presence of the spectators, but it will go parallel. Um, and all theatres will, will have um, a very kind of strong digital presence because it seems that that's the way to go. So if you don't have a digital presence, you, you kind of are hidden away from people. So Many people will find it quite difficult still to kind of go back to spaces with loads of other people, especially when when masks will come off. Uh, so I think the digital side will still remain a very strong element of, of theatre practice in general and cultural practice in general. It will, it will stay on with museums, it will stay on with, with other kind of cultural institutions. So I think in a way it's a good shift, um, but but, you know, our 
reliance on, on digital we see how kind of vulnerable we are when the internet is kind of gone. <laughs> as it happened like in the past in the past couple of days so you know when 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 the internet is is gone then you know all we have is is people <laughs> and people present in a space but i think um you know i i think the digital side of it will will stay much stronger than it was before the pandemic so it's almost one positive to come out of it uh, with everything going on to the fact that theatres and I suppose the arts having to adapt to being online more so it's almost opened it up to people who wouldn't usually consider plays and stuff because I know in the first lockdown a lot of um, YouTube channels were set up by companies and they showed old productions so loads of people saw plays that I don't think they'd ever usually pay to go see and everything so I think it's quite useful this shift as much as we probably would prefer to not have had it happen at all we have the benefit of people being more interested in the arts and more, I guess, reliant and seeing the significance of the arts. Yeah, it's definitely brought a variety of people to the theatre and to the arts, people who might not have been, um, not necessarily interested, but who, who might have not associated the theatre with themselves or with their communities. Yeah. Um, we know that many um, are kind of underrepresented communities found online and digital practices much more um, available for them um, you know people who would not necessarily um, recognize themselves um, in the institution of the theater um, but also it meant that theaters had to invest money that they didn't have into digital practices because they're not cheap if you want to do well you have to have the technology um, so it's, it's kind of like a two-way thing really on one side it's it's quite expensive for theatres so they have to spend money that they probably don't have on digital on the other hand is very much opening theatres up to communities that might not have um enjoyed theatre before it'll be quite interesting to see long term how um theatre is affected and i hope it's able to bounce back because that's the main fear at the moment that it's not having the priority that it should. Yes, definitely. And I think many theatres <laughs> perhaps not come back. Um, they they will stop making theatre um, for financial reasons, but also for for you know reasons of space and and uh, you know how how expensive it is to kind of keep up. Um, theatre spaces but I think also on the good side I think um, and I kind of kind of go back to to kind of underrepresented communities I think it's important to kind of take stock at this moment and make sure that the, the kind of the the equality diversity and inclusion ag agenda becomes much more prominent in theatres and kind of cultural activity than it was before when it's not just for white middle class people but actually it's for everybody and the digital kind of rollout <laughs> really um ensured that that is happening to a certain level but obviously we also have to keep in mind the fact that many people don't have the digital technology to to actually yeah. use theater this way either so so um you know the the loads of kind of complex things that we need to consider that's true Sheffield is a very theatre-based city, though, with 
because they've got, of course got the drama studio within their, our own university and I know under nor normal circumstances there's theatre societies that are always producing plays and there's always seems to be a production on it every other week whenever you walked past and of course we've got the crucible and all the theatres in the town and stuff so theatre is a very important part of Sheffield and then also a very important part of Route 57 so trying to think where I'm going with this um, because it's so integrated to the city um, I've, I've lost my question but yeah that's true because you've been editing the theatre section for a while hmm. do you think that this theme in particular I guess because we've had the one submission do you think this theme in particular lends itself to um, plays or do you think it's a bit more complex considering when you're of course writing a play it's slightly different to performing it with all the masks yes and i think um masks are not necessarily a, a big part of contemporary theater so when you ask people to kind of consider the idea of masks they might not go for the physical masks they might go as the submission that we had for the um, theatre section for the drama section did as a reconsideration of a classic, so it's kind of a rewriting of Macbeth um, in, in a way that kind of reveals particular things about the characters but also hides things away from you know um, their identity so so masks can be considered in, in, in various ways not necessarily the kind of the physical presence of masks but more the the, the kind of the symbolic identity hiding um, element of, of what masks might mean. So it is, I think it's, a, it's an important topic. And I think just to kind of pick up on what you were saying about Sheffield, um, I, think, I think in Sheffield, what, what is good is that we have two kind of types of theatres. We have the, the very institutional ones, so the ones that everybody yeah. knows, like the Crispel, the Lyceum, um, but also we have smaller theatres, like Theatre Delhi, for example, oh, yeah. um, and other kind of small theatres and community theatres that that really engage with with communities. So it's not just the kind of the the mainstream theatres that everybody knows, but also more experimental theatres. Um, and and those experimental theatres found it, I think, a bit easier to explore the digital practices, even if, and in ways that didn't necessarily cost a lot of money, um, like doing audio walks, for example, so kind of engaging with the spaces and making sure that people enjoy things outside with all the kind of, you know, the lockdown rules that people should spend more time outside. Um, so so the, the practices really kind of looked at the regulations and tried to make sure that, you know, what they produce is not just kind of keeping people in front of a screen, but also encourages them to do walks, to explore the city, to engage with the city in kind of creative ways. So I think um, although Sheffield, you know, might be kind of, you know, much smaller than, than places like London or Manchester, but um, I think because of the variety of, of theatre practices that exist in the city, um, it, it really showed the kind of the creativity of people. Yeah, we might not be as big as the other cities, but I think we have just as much creativity, if not more. Exactly. <laughs> yes, and and that showed. I think it, um, I worked during lockdown. I worked with Side Gallery, for example, as well, and um, they had very strong um, 
programs in place to to kind of keep the community together and make sure that people are as engaged with the arts during lockdown as they were before um, even if they couldn't kind of you know physically be at the gallery or at the museum or a theatre. That's true because Sheffield's got all the museums as well everywhere that are great to go through. <laughs> Yes, museums and galleries and and all these institutions I think for all of them it was very important to kind of engage with digital because otherwise you know they didn't have anybody come to see their, their, <laughs> their works exhibited so it was important for them to kind of push these works on online and and more than just kind of putting up some images and kind of asking people to look at them yeah. but, but more kind of um actively in, in a more active way kind of interactive way i mean route 57 has also gone digital this year because the last few years we've been paper but of course with the shift of everyone else in the arts we've also gone digital this year for our launch and everything yes and i think it, it really kind of you know it's a it's a sign of the times that that people have to adapt and in order for yeah. For, for something like Route 57 to be enjoyed by people, by more people perhaps, you know, if, if it goes digital, um, it, it, it's important to kind of respond to what is happening and to make sure that, that you know, the, our voice kind of is heard by, by people and, and the, the pieces that were submitted are, are read and enjoyed by uh, a, a large variety of people beyond Sheffield perhaps, you know. That's true. On the note of people reading, what do you think our readers should be excited for with Route 57 and this issue in particular? Well, I think Route 57 is a great kind of platform for people to, you know, for, for people who are creative, who enjoy creative writing, who are good at creative writing, to kind of put their work out there. Um, and it's been really a, a, a platform that encourages students and not only students to to submit work and to to have that work assessed and reviewed yeah. and then to, to kind of publish that work so i think it's a great platform for people to to start this process of publishing to in a quite quite a friendly way in a way so so before you kind of go out into the world <laughs> um you know many many of our creative writing um students and not only so even students who are not necessarily directly involved with creative writing but who are doing creative writing as as um, you know part of their their kind of creative persona creative identity yeah. um are often um, encouraged to submit work to route 57 and they get quite friendly um, review of their work. Um, we always make sure that the feedback that we give people is constructive and we encourage them to kind of resubmit, for example, if we find that some of the things or, or if we suggest some changes. So I think it's a very good um, environment for to, to try things out. And, and that's another thing that I think is great about Road 57 is that it invites kind of work in progress as well. So, so it's not you don't have to kind of create the perfect something and submit it, but it's also kind of a work in progress where feedback is given, where you have a chance of, of kind of rewriting or reconsidering aspects of what you submitted. So, yeah. You are right there. It's a very friendly um, place, Route 57. So I think there's no need to be worried about submitting or anything. Say if someone's listening to this, wanting to submit next year for the other theme, but 
wonderful thing to be involved in. I am very grateful for the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it's, it, and it's, I think it's one of those um, magazines that really kind of encourages people to to try out this kind of creative side of them and and see what happens and you never know if you start writing poetry or short stories or non-fiction whatever you're interested in it's a really good thing of of you know trying things out and see you know you might you might write something extraordinary um but but it's it's a way of of kind of easing you into the process of publication which is which is a very complex and very difficult process when you do it kind of as as a profession so i think route 57 is is that first step that you can take in order to see if if this is something for you and you write a lot of master's students and students at sheffield do get involved with it and i think stay involved with it over years because it is a good place to start it's a, like everyone's lovely involved and it's just a good it's, it's, I think it's one of the best things a uni does but <laughs> I'm going to be biased <laughs> it is also quite important is that it allows students to become editors as well so it's not just the academic kind of you know ruling over the pieces which are submitted but it's a it's a panel made up of academics and students who kind of learn the yeah. process of editing of how to be an editor but also how to assess a piece of writing which becomes quite important because it gives you skills beyond the necessary you know kind of creative writing piece but it also gives you skills for for becoming a, an editor for knowing how to assess a piece of writing um, and also how to give feedback because I think that's very important um, you can't just say I don't like this. <laughs> you have to you have to say why and what can be done to it to kind of improve it. So it's, it, it teaches quite a lot of skills. Just on theatre and masks, do you have a favourite play or historical example of a um, play or a mask that you particularly really enjoy and you kind of want to teach more to like students and stuff if you could? <laughs> Well, I think there's two kind of theatrical periods that um, that have masks or that are using masks and that I really like. Um, one is is ancient Greece, which I mentioned before, um, and I think the way we learn about ancient Greek theatre now, um, we're trying to kind of make it contemporary we, we we're trying to kind of explore it with the techniques that the theater techniques that we have now so we we seem to ignore the element of the mask really and just kind of look at the text and and explore the text physically with with what we have at the moment but i think the masks are so important for ancient greek theater that it's it's a really good skill for the students to learn of how to how to express something without being able to use their faces <laughs> so uh, you know because their faces are covered um, you need to learn how to kind of create a character that is covered and that doesn't have the luxury of, of, of using the eyes or the face in uh, you know in any way to express it's and that I think that's a very important skill to learn as a, as a theatre student. Um, and the other period that I really like is is the Italian Commedia dell'arte, which is kind of a medieval 
um, style of theatre, which is where, where slapstick comedy kind of is coming from. Um, and it's very much a kind of a comedy thing where the, the um, actors are masked, although they're different masks from the ancient Greek ones, so they're not whole head masks, but they're just half head. Um, but but in that case, the mask kind of gives the character their individuality. So you have to learn to work with the mask to kind of create a character. And they have to be funny, but physically funny because there's not too many lines to say. So um, it's uh, th those are the kind of the two periods in history that I think would need perhaps more attention for us to to understand better where masks are coming from as far as theatre is concerned. With, I guess with the, like, the whole slapstick, it's almost like Charlie Chapman because he had that very much look and silent film. It's like his look with the moustache and everything and the hat was almost like a mask. And so it's almost just answering back to a tradition a couple of hundred years before him. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's, it's also <laughs> the latte and it really is a, a style of theatre that then is taken up by, by slapstick comedy is taken up by by um, vaudeville in the 19th century so it's it's and then by a silent film in silent film obviously you didn't have your voice so you needed to use your face but the face is very much stylized so um it's 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 a it's a style that that is very much used by silent film actors and charlie chaplin's one and Buster keaton is another one who's who's using the kind yeah. of the same style so um so it is why, why I'm saying that these two periods are quite important is because they had a, a very um, important impact on on how theatre developed afterwards and film. So it's not just theatre. Um, so um, that's why they are kind of important to be recognised as as important, basically. Yeah, because the more I'm thinking about it, the more you look at modern examples of when masks use. It's very similar to almost the same way so in like with horror films these days you get masks where like um the Michael Myers mask there's just the yeah. character that's all around the head as well and so the character is like almost a bit like ancient Greek and you've got like scream masks and stuff which is again mm. using them to create this character that you identify with but it's everything else as well so yeah. I guess we kind of overlook how key theatre is for everything we kind of know today within pop culture could of course theatre came first Mm, exactly. You know, you have clown masks. I mean, you know, you have it, which is very, um, you know, yeah. um, important a horror film. And I think horror films are quite an interesting idea because they are kind of coming from the tradition of tragedy, which is, again, you know, kind of goes back to <laughs> great tragedy um, because it's it's about it's, it's that about the essence of pain and suffering that that horror films are kind of discussing. I mean, in an extreme way. But Often in horror films, you have a, a variety of masks, um, you know, Mike Myers, but others as well. <laughs> they, have, they have masks like Jason, for example, with a hockey mask, you know, all, all these um, kind of um, bad people appearing <laughs> in horror films. And in a way, I think it's it's quite an interesting concept because it the masks makes them, you know, you don't actually see who's behind the mask often in in horror films and the mask becomes the character so so you know on posters for example you see the mask you see the man in the mask you don't actually know who the actor behind the mask is um well you do but you don't you don't you, you wouldn't kind of say 
face with with anything because the mask becomes the character so so um yeah there's there's loads of examples like that where the mask is is the character and then you you can go to you know um um you know the marvel um superhero yeah. um movies where again often masks kind of determine who the character is and how we recognize characters yeah so clearly it, we kept the ideas we had for four thousand years ago and went yeah this this is all we need and just yes. keep, <laughs> keep modernizing it over time but we've we really they were really ahead either they were really ahead of their time or we haven't moved on from the idea <laughs> i think a bit of both basically i think we, we've always been fascinated by hiding our faces for various reasons and and what that kind of says to the people who look at us um and it's not necessarily just physical masks there are other kinds of masks that you can have that um that that kind of hide your your individuality hide your personality so it, the, the, i think the physical masks were possibly a kind of a, a material reincarnation of of that symbol that that is a mask so um we always liked the idea of the mask not only in the theater but obviously later on in in films as well well, those are all my questions I have. Um, thank you very much for speaking with me. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm definitely going to be Googling more um, theatre masks now. And <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't even talked about the, you know, the Chinese and Japanese masks, which, which are oh. you know, uh, a, a whole different kind of style in themselves and a whole, whole different kind of type of theatre, because obviously we say that our Western theatre started with the Greeks, but you know the Greeks weren't the first ones. So, you know, if we go to Japan and and China, um, their masks have been there for thousands of years as well, and they have very different um, meanings and very different symbology. Yeah. So, um, there is a lot to say about masks. I hadn't considered that, but yeah, because so the mask, the idea of the mask is universal, but we. Mm -hmm. You're right, in the Western world, tend to pin it to the Greeks and give them all the credit. Yes, yeah. We we don't seem to kind of think globally about them. We just think about our our kind of Western world, but but it's it's much more than that. And then if you go to South America, there's a different story again about masks and ritual masks that were used um, a, a long time before the Greeks. So. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's um it's quite an important symbol, I think. Well, you've given me a lot to think about, so hopefully you've given the listeners and people already excited for the issue a lot to think about. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> yeah. So if, if we get them to kind of explore the idea of masks a little bit more then and to widen their horizons, you know, kind of beyond the the Western concept of masks, that would be great. I do think it's important in this day and age to, of course, especially as we go digital and global more and more by the day, to remember the like history of everywhere, not just the Western ideas. Hmm. Definitely, and and to kind of recognise the fact that you know we we weren't necessarily the first ones to come up with <laughs> with ideas. Um, there are other people who lived in places that we kind of think we discovered. Um, um, but but culture was there before, and 
you know, the masks were there before. And, and you could see that um, when you look at the kind of the types of masks that are there around the world. Yeah. Well, um, unless you have anything else to say to encourage people to join our launch or um, read the issue? <laughs> Well, I just think that it's important for them to do to um, encourage our writers as well, you know, um, and and to to make sure that these pieces are read, especially now that you know they're they're going to be online, so it's going to be much easier to access them. But also the topic, I think, is very um, current. It's very today. You know, we constantly talk about masks. And I think it's um, it's also important, you know, it's why, why people kind of become quite worked up about the distinction between masks and face coverings. <laughs> so, you know, why, why masks suddenly be, become a kind of a, a, a negative term. So um, yeah. it's it's one of those terms that that has had quite a long history. So hopefully through the issue, um, that creatively responds to the idea of masks, but also through the discussions that people will have at the launch, hopefully, um, you know, readers will get to explore masks a bit more. <laughs> <laughs>